0: I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.
2: The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note, viewer discretion is advised at all times. Sit back and enjoy.
3: Dear Boss, I keep on hearing the police have called me but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed. When they look so clever and talk about being on the right track, that joke about the leather apron gave me real fits. I'm down on horse, and I shan't quit ripping them till I get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work, and I want to start again. You will soon hear of me and my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick, like glue, and I can't use it. Red ink is good enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly. Wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work and give it out straight my knife's so nice and sharp and I want to get to work right away if I get a chance good luck yours truly Jack the Ripper
4: And so I could murder a podcast, the podcast where we delve into the dark depths of depravity. Benjamin Carter, how are you doing today?
5: I'm ready for a dive, ready for a dive, ready to get deep and dark and murky and uncover all sorts of depths with my boys today. How are you? How
4: are you doing, Dan? <laughs> what are you saying?
5: <laughs>
0: uh, very good. I have to say, you're on a brand new system today, so your voices are sounding <laughs> extra shiny, Ooh. extra lovely.
4: The claw. Before we start, <laughs> elephant in the room, Jack Rabbit's on my t-shirt. It was on purpose for today's case. Big shout out to Gully Garms for dressing us for this series. Yeah, absolutely. Um, don't forget, you can go over to their website and use our codes Ben and Tom for 30% off.
5: It's a killer deal. It's absolutely killer. And, you know, festival season is just around the corner. No, it's not. But we're making our way through this series. We're almost, a, well, we are a quarter of a way through as of right now. But we're making our way through the series. Big episode last week. We hope everyone enjoyed The Iceman. Mm. Kuklinski. Big, big one.
4: Mr. Frosty is much fun. He killed everyone. He didn't kill everyone, but he claimed to. He said he did. He did claim to. Uh, yeah, that was a, It was a very in- intriguing case. This case, pff, I mean, Ben said at the beginning of the series he thinks it's going to be an intimidating series this season. I think this one will definitely fall into the category of pro- perhaps why you believed it to be an intimidating series. Yes, this case, uh, as I said, Jack Rabbit's. Not, it's not Jack the Jack Rabbiter. It's Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Or the Whitechapel murders, or Lever Apron murders.
5: Oh, you're Jack, and I'm a bit ripped. Uh, in, in terms of jumper. Yeah. yeah I need yeah. to work out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At the time of this coming out as well, most of the New Year's, I heard on the radio today, New Year's resolutions, they tend to end by sort of the third, fourth week of January. And uh, still going with my water. How are you, your resolutions going, guys? Yeah, I've
4: been, I've been sticking to my gym routine, been mm. cracking on. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Good. Have you actually yeah
5: it's been going quite oh a lot oh god
0: I've been doing nothing
5: yeah and as we mentioned we're getting through it this series we have a load of big big cases coming up and there will eventually be an audience vote so if you're not already why not follow us on our socials at could murder a pod instagram twitter facebook facebook tiktok and we have a subreddit we do have a subreddit icmap uh, shout out to the people running that uh, smashing it loving it it's growing
4: so quickly and nicely you love to see it the other thing which never do but i'm going to try and make an effort this season we really want to push the youtube so if you haven't already please hit subscribe and hit the notification bell because i had some people saying they didn't get the notification of the first episode going out Mm. we want you guys to be in the loop we would like to see the people
5: subscribed and with the notification bell on the (laughs) rise ding dong as Tom mentioned, obviously we've got a YouTube For everyone joining us via the Ears Audio version of the episodes Every episode has a visual version yeah. um, Very well put together by our lovely editor, Mr Bontsey Yes, Mr Bonsey. Yeah. And obviously Phil Whitten with the amazing animations But, but Ben, I feel like we're,
4: we're Yagging on and uh, <laughs> a lot of people Will be saying, why have you guys not started We see those comments
5: The yeah. um, episode starts at 7 yeah, minutes and Skip to this point Oh,
4: Why are you guys trying to be funny? No, we're not going to change it <laughs> probably not the podcast for you. Anyway, this is the Jack the Ripper case. It's obviously it's a big case. Lots of conjecture, lots of different mm-hmm. theories. We're going to go back into the depths of London into the 1800s. Wow.
5: Penny for the governor. Pardon? Penny for the governor. Penny for the governor. I don't know. Was that said? I think Shiny Shoes governor. Shiny Shoes governor. Polly wants a cracker. I don't know if you Polly
4: you've been... wants a cracker. A bit Polly wants a governor. Yeah. Yeah, we're trying to keep those to a minimum this episode. Yes, we're going to go and we will see. We're going to put the people out there for you guys to think and, and you know, see if you can pinpoint who you believe is Jack the
5: Ripper. Yeah, a case that needs no introduction. So let's introduce it. He wrote that down. I haven't. I haven't. So welcome. So welcome. It'd be some good for some good sound effects here, like clogs and not sniffing.
4: Ben's going to do it. I'm going to set some London background noises just at the beginning of it to get it. Late 1800s
5: London for me, please. Yeah, he gets it. He gets it. Welcome to late 1800s London. (laughs) Fucking so good.
0: (laughs) So good. (laughs) Annoying.
5: I know. Are you seeing him as well? (laughs) Yeah. So, welcome to late 1800s London. I just want to keep making him do it. (laughs)
4: Gavin, want a penny.
5: Oh, whatever, sorry, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stop fucking around. Yeah. So, welcome to late 1800s London. In the 19th century, London was the largest city in the world, but when we think of the major cities of today, we think of wealth. This could not be further from the truth for parts of London in the autumn of 1888. The East End housed some of the most depraved within London, and with a prolific murderer on the loose, no one was safe. I should point out I've got a cold. Nah. No. It's just, that's just default now, isn't it? Well, I, but didn't I make a comment before about it making me feel good when other people are suffering? That's what some people took it as. I like to hear people's voices with cold. Like and that's not what you Sawyer said. Sawyer from Lost had cold. You to people suffering. I never said it quite like that. You literally said it like that then? Not like that. But didn't I make a comment before about it making me feel good when other people are suffering? Carry on. Whitechapel was filled with the poorest people in London at the time. They were crammed together in slums with entire families often sharing with complete strangers... All in one room of a house. Whitechapel looked distinctly different
4: to how it looks today. In 1888, horses could be found patrolling the streets of London as they made their way around town. I mean, if you can do it.
5: I did a face.
4: Way around town, way around town, way around town. In 1888, horses could be found patrolling the streets of London as they made their way around town, transporting people from place to place. Although they were a brilliant mode of transport, they would leave their excrement everywhere. This meant the cobbled streets of London smelt, animal and human waste was spewed all over the floor, and sanitation was not one of the main priorities. People did not want to use horses for transportation, they could use the underground. However, it had little electric power and small compartments that could only sit comfortably around 10 passengers. The whole journey would be dimly lit, as smoke and steam
5: would create a haze across the tracks. Disease and Infection were rife. The whole of Whitechapel was damp and dirty. Housing and workplaces had poor ventilation, and so colds and flu spread quickly. I would have lasted five minutes. Many would catch illnesses and subsequently die. They were made of different things, but then they could just tack it rather than get on about it. Women roamed the streets looking for a bed for the night. Sex workers at the time were called unfortunates. Their work often resulted in the transmission of STDs. Plus, there were often unwanted pregnancies. This would lead to dangerous abortions, often conducted in unsanitary conditions. And in 1888, the Metropolitan Police commented that around 1,200 sex workers were working within the Whitechapel area. Trusted doctors
4: came at too high a fee for many. Consequently, many women died because of illegal abortions they had to get. Often infection would also take the woman's life. Drinking disinfectant was another way of terminating their unwanted pregnancies. This would also result in termination of their life on most occasions. So yeah, people were very desperate at that time, not having enough money to see a doctor and having to take it within their own hands. The air quality was extremely poor at the time. The air would be thick and heavy with smog. Smoke made working conditions difficult. Although the majority of people think that this could not be good for their bodies, some theorise that the sulphur found in the railways was beneficial for those who had weak lungs.
5: So is that kind of saying, you know, like... You open yourself up to infection to get stronger because your immune system... Let gonna, your babies eat mud. Yeah, let, let them play. That's not... The, yeah. Yeah, on. yeah. but it seemed like at the time, although we're going to talk about a very infamous, perhaps the most infamous murderer being on the on the loose in the area, it seems like everything else in the area was out to get you. Yeah? Yeah, well, it didn't seem the happiest place to be knocking about. But no, yeah, of I'll course. Give you that. I'll give you that. And I thought that that was quite interesting. Oh, God. <laughs> is, that the, is that the segue? There yeah. I was looking for my spot.
4: Ben Carter's interesting facts. Interesting facts. Oh, I don't. I don't know. Interesting facts.
5: So yeah, for, uh, welcome back, everybody, one and all. Great to be here. Really appreciate you uh, joining us, wherever you are in the world right now. Things trying to kill you in the 1800s. Quite a subject. I'm excited. Yeah. Jet the Ripper? Yes, absolutely. One of them. Yep. Life in Victorian times was incredibly tough, as we're going to go on to yeah, outline. It, and that, already kind yeah. of outlined. We, we've kind we of outlined that. You made Edit. And arguably, it was far more dangerous than life nowadays. And the late 1800s were, for most, a very difficult time to make ends meet, particularly for Britons and immigrants in London. So not only were many of them living hand-to-mouth, but many lived in extreme poverty, and conditions were extremely harsh. Not only was there a prolific serial killer on the loose, but many other diseases were prevalent in the area, including typhoid, tuberculosis, scarlet fever, and other infectious diseases. And also there was a lot of pneumonia. A lot of pneumonia about but I did find some other fairly niche things that you should be quite concerned about in late 1800s Britain. Okay, I'll, I'll yeah. warn them. Let me know what they are. Let me hit you with one This right is the now. interesting bit. This is the interesting bit. Are sure. you ready, boys? Yeah, I felt it. Like, yeah. Exploding teeth.
4: Teeth? What?
5: Yeah. Exploding teeth. <laughs> Absorb that information.
4: Shitty...
0: Infected, somehow. Yeah. Get the sure. boils and the... Okay.
5: So Tom's going with boils.
4: Well, it's like when you get like a swollen, like, and it gets full of pus and... It.
5: Interesting. Mm. Dan? I just thought like a
4: horrible infection
5: of some sort. Horrible infection of some sort. I mean, you could technically, I guess, eventually lead to some sort of pop. But uh, I'm talking about exploding teeth. In the late 1800s, occasionally some people's teeth used to randomly explode. Following months of agonising toothache, 19th century patients sometimes found their teeth exploding in their mouths, with a force that nearly knocked one woman over. Before the invention of mercury amalgam, a wide variety of different metals were used as fillings. Oh, shit. Uh, And in in some cases, they were also used to fill entire tooth cavities. So pull a tooth out rather than let it close up. Stick a bit of metal in it. Mm. Using some particular metals could eventually create an electrochemical cell within the mouth. And effectively, what it would do would turn the whole mouth into a low volt battery. A dentist called W.H. Atkinson came across a condition that sounds like the stuff of nightmares. And on seeing it for the first time with one of his regular patients, he noted, The right superior canine commenced aching, increasing in intensity to such a degree that it set my patient wild. During his agonies, he ran about here and there. This guy in the dentist's office, he was running around in absolute agony. Trying, doctor, doctor. Oh, my tooth. I feel like a
4: pair of curtains. Put yourself together. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Anyway, he's running about when all at once a sharp crack and a little bang, like a pistol shot, burst his tooth into fragments and knocked him on the floor, instantly giving him relief. Okay. So exploding teeth happened. It's quite interesting, isn't it? That would be. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I found that really interesting that exploding teeth were sort of a thing in the late 1800s. So what I did was like, that's bizarre. But what what's more bizarre than that? Yeah. And uh, I found some more sort of more bizarre ones. I actually found 10 of them, but obviously we ain't got time for 10. fucking we haven't got time for fucking 10. <laughs> 10 so, no, Rebby, give but us. Give I us... Could give, what I could do is give you a, um, a couple of titles and you and Dan pick which sure, one you want to hear. Sure. You know, I'll just give you a few. We'll, we'll thank the BBC for this content as well. but um, okay. <laughs> And the BBC as well as BC's IFs. Number one, killed by a mouse. Number two, crushed by his own invention. So things to worry about in the 1800s are being yeah. killed by a crush by an invention, crushed by your own invention, killed by a mouse, killed by a coffin, killed by eating her own hair, killed as a zombie, torn to pieces by cats, drowned by decorum, killed by a drunken bear, laughed himself to death, or killed by a bet.
4: A lot of them I could picture what happened, but yeah, but laughing yourself to death then I it could just be you had a heart attack because you
5: killed by a drunken bear is quite interesting. Isn't it? That was
0: yeah.
5: I mean, there's others.
4: That and a laughing one for me, but you know, go for that one then. Was there one that you were liking,
5: Tom? Uh, Dan, go Dan one. Dan's one. Yeah, that's good. So, drunken bear. Drunken bear. Okay. <laughs> Tom is so not bothered with this. <laughs> so, you're in the late 1800s, right? And you're offered to keep a bear as a pet. <laughs> would you turn that offer down? Yeah, i turn it down. Say so it's cruel yeah. to keep a bear as a pet, yeah, or would down. you accept it and perhaps. perhaps even go on to teach it to drink? No, I don't turn it down. You turn it down, but yeah. Dan, you'd probably take it, you know, take it on to teach it to drink booze with you. Probably, yeah. Have a few beers with the bear in Vilna, which is, beers. is then in Vilna, which is in Russia in 1891. There was a man who would have we're uh, in Russia now. We're in Russia. yes. I thought the fuck. Okay, still the same time zone. Ripper was about when this was happening. Actually, he probably might have even been aware of it. Could have been. I mean, it, it could have been him. Go on. There was a man who went on to keep his bear as a pet. The bear was large but tame but it did have a taste for vodka. One day, it busted into a village tavern and grabbed a keg of vodka. The owner of the pub basically got a bit angry about this and tried to snatch it back off the bear. It would be an understatement to say that this was an error, and in the chaotic scenes that ensued, the infuriated animal hugged to death the cavern keeper, then did the same to his two sons as well as his daughter. Oh, smashed so the whole family. It's wiped a whole family out. The villagers found the drunken animal asleep on the floor in a pool of blood and alcohol, surrounded by its victims. Was immediately shot. I'm um, not shot. Shot with a gun. That'd be weird, wouldn't it?
4: It would be very weird. So there you go. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Uh, like exploding teeth. That was interesting. That's
5: probably that is up there with your
4: most interesting facts.
5: So Thank, Well done, team. And back to the episode. <laughs> it's good, wasn't it?
4: The population of Whitechapel was approximately 80,000 in 1888, with 900,000 living in the East End. The area housed an influx of migrants who had recently come over to the country. Jewish and Irish migrants faced a barrage of racism every day. The streets of London were filled with social tension. Migrants had decided to come to London in the hope of better economic opportunities. The Docks of London were booming at the time, and this was a secure job for many. Working at the docks was hard, but it paid for life's necessities. When the migrants were offered jobs, it came with a decrease in pay for local workers. This fueled already growing tensions and caused outrage in the streets
5: of London. Anti-Semitism was rife as many people believed a member of the Jewish community was committing these horrific acts. In their opinion, an Englishman could not unleash such barbaric acts of devastation onto the streets of England. There were often children born to mothers who could not feed themselves, let alone a child, and consequently, twenty percent of children died before they had a chance to reach their fifth birthday. Forgot to mention it in my interesting facts, but average lifespan back then was like early forties. So we'd be, we'd all be like sort of, you'd be fucking, thousand, years. It, <laughs> you'd be like, whoa. <laughs> but uh, yeah, people lived half as long back then, pretty much. Yes, yeah, it's
4: thirty-nine. You it's said early forties.
5: Kind of the same.
4: Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Just a different number.
5: A lot of people resorted to jobs in tailoring and boot making. Matchstick making was another popular form of employment. Matchstick making. Did you know the lighter was invented before matchsticks? I had no idea. Um, (laughs) People had two choices. Find a job or go to a workhouse. Workhouses had existed since around the
4: 17th century, but a change in the Poor Law Amendment Act in 1834 meant those who could work had to. If they did not, they would not receive their poor relief. This was an amount of money from local authorities that would be handed out to those who were deemed worthy of help. Workhouses were a place to shelter those who were in the most desperate of situations. They were provided with food and a place to stay as long as they worked. Workhouses were not meant to be a readily available option for the poor. They were made to be grueling to stop loiterers from thinking
5: they were a solution to their money woes." Yes. Yeah, no, no freeloaders there. No, 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 no. Housing was a dire situation during the 19th century. It was massively overcrowded, and whole families would have one room to cook, eat, and sleep in. People would be crammed into little beds, and even when they were in the beds, they would share that with their family members, often top and tail in. Like the buckets, grandparents. A lot like that, but just cramped.
4: Yeah, more cramped than the uh, the buckets, grandparents. I always think, I think we mentioned this before. Just always think that if they're never getting out of the bed. Something's going on. That fucking stink. <laughs> well, I wasn't think, I was thinking of the stink, but yeah. You're thinking the, there's uh, just a constant masturbation sesh. I wasn't thinking of that. Circle jerking. So basically, yeah, there would be lots of people in one room. Some people would result to sleep on the floor so they wouldn't be squished against the damp, cold four walls they occupied. One of the interesting things from this I found was people, some people, if they couldn't afford the money to have these rooms, there would be a rope attached to one corner of the room and they'd sleep standing up so on the wall and there's sleep which I I mean I have been on the job before behind a camera a very dull job and I've found myself falling asleep while standing up but I don't think I could sleep standing up
5: I thought that was what you were about to say I thought you were about to say well I have Tried to fall asleep standing up. No.
4: No, I've never tried it. I haven't tried it. If anything, I was very much trying to stay awake. I found that fascinating to hear people sleeping, standing up.
5: Many used alcohol and drugs to cope with their way of life. These influences provided an eerie rose-coloured tint, providing escapism for a few hours. Probably a rosé-coloured tint. Um pubs and music halls could be readily found in London at the time. Drink was also very cheap and so many would glug until they forgot about their situation I believe gin was a popular mm. drink of the day. So this alcohol consumption as well as the high use of drugs would often result in violence and it is interesting to note that all of the Jack the Ripper victims were allegedly dependent on alcohol So people are trying to use gin as a tonic for their um That's pretty good. Their troublesome situations <laughs> Beers to calm their fears
4: Beers for fears, mad world Hey you, stop what you're doing right now
5: Stop it, put it down
4: Why aren't you over at
5: icmap.co.uk You might be saying, why should I go over to icmap.co.uk Well tell them Because it's the bloody best website in the world And I'll tell you why Because it's the new official home of I Could Murder A Podcast
4: Over there, we're going to be hosting all of our Minnesota from now on. It's a slightly cheaper price on the Patreon as well. And you also get exclusive access to merch that you've never seen before.
5: Not only that, but you'll have a direct line to Ben, Tom and Dan, Discord, exclusive birthday messages, a whole host of other perks that we've never given away before. Not only will we have brand new and exclusive merch, but we're never going to run out of anything ever again. Never! Fully stocked, full-sized and fully stocked.
4: We've already received comments from people saying it's a lot better than Patreon. It's so much nicer. Oh, we love this place. Look at the walls of this house. It's gorgeous. Yeah, but like we mentioned, exclusive merch. All the Minnesotans that were on Patreon have been moved over.
5: Bloody 100 of them. Yes,
4: a lot to go and binge.
5: And not only will you unlock a whole host of extra perks, as well as 100 episodes over there, you'll also be massively supporting your good friends here at I Could Murder a Podcast, and we physically literally metaf- all of the adverbs we couldn't make this podcast without you
4: so head on over to www.icmap.co.uk and join the cult we'll see you there As we established in 1888, London, especially the East End of London, was quite the grim place to be. It was a place full of desperation, where people were falling into sex work they didn't want to be, people drinking their woes away, people living in squalor, being forced to go to workhouses and lodgings. It wasn't a happy place to be. And sadly, it wasn't going to get any easier for the people
5: of the East End. And now we're going to go into
4: the timeline of Jack the Ripper.
5: So for the official timeline, we will be talking about the Canonical Five, but there will be mentions of other cases that have been suggested to have been the work of Jack the Ripper.
4: Ben, I want to know what the Canonical Five is, you jackass! Can't you tell me?
5: Canonical is applied in many contexts to mean according to the canon. Kaboom. That's a small canon. So essentially it's applied in many different contexts, but it means according to the canon. And if something is canonical, it tends to follow a set of rules or a similar rule. And these five particular victims that we're gonna go on to talk about, although it's speculated widely that there are much, much more, all follow a distinct rule and pattern that are said to have been related enough to have been put down to the work of one individual or group of individuals.
4: What's the murder's operandi? No.
5: Okay. <laughs> so yes, we're going to talk
4: about the canonical victims right now and the grizzly ends they're about to meet. Marianne Nichols, also known as Polly, is the first victim we're going to talk about. It is approximately 3.40am on the 31st of August. The streets of London are dimly lit when Charles Cross is making his commute to work. When walking along Bucks Row, a road in the eastern part of Whitechapel, he stumbles across what he believes to be a bundle. Bundle of clothes?
5: Tote bag. Mug. Cap. ...stickers...
4: Is it a bundle of clothes?
5: A bundle is just, you know... Oh wow, that looks like a bundle... Yeah. I'm, is it a
4: bundle of clothes?
5: Yeah, but a waste...
4: He stumbles across a curious sight... ...and decides to take a closer look... ...he walks over to see a sight... ...he would never blur from the recesses of his mind... ...Charles finds a woman... ...and in his horror looks around to see... ...if he can gather help... ...across the street he sees Robert Paul. ...Charles stutters as he tells Robert... ...about what he has just discovered... ...the two decide to see if they can see... ...life within the body... ...bending over, Charles touches the woman's hands they are cold as he is doing so robert tries to find an indication of breathing there are no signs of life however upon pressing on the woman's chest robert believes he sees it move running out of suggestions to see if the woman will survive robert suggests that the two attempt to sit the woman up charles adamantly says no the pair decide that they will give the woman dignity instead they pull her skirt down so that the people will not see the lower half of her body while the two go on about their way charles and robert agree that when they see a police officer they will tell them about the horror they have seen luckily for them PC John Neal was somewhere across the body whilst he was walking his beat. So people that might not know what a beat is, police back in the day used to just basically have set ways and walk around just to, just to police the streets. They'd have set routes. They'd be walking about. Have a little whistle. Yeah. Whistle if they see anything that aroused suspicion or they need to back up for.
5: Charles and Robert here drew some criticism, didn't they, about the way that they handled this. They're quite sort of casual. They cover her up and then go about their day and say, oh, well, if we, if we happen upon a police officer, we'll let him know. But mm. otherwise... But they can't just get yeah, the can't. phone up, Ben. No, they can't. You're absolutely right. Mm. What do you want to do? Try and resusc- Pick it up. resuscitate her.
4: They've she's established that she's
5: dead. I think they're in sort of two minds. A little bit. Oh, there's two Bending down with a lamp in his hand, PC Neil is shocked to his core as he sees that the woman's neck has been cut so severely that she has almost been decapitated. The darkness of the night sky had protected Charles Cross and Robert Poole from seeing atrocity. So I feel like this Charles Cross and Robert Poole were quite sort of casual in their inspection, given what PC Neal then goes to uncover. Obviously, he's shed a light, literally, um, with the lamp in his hand, but she's been ferociously attacked to the point that she's nearly been decapitated, whereas Mm. these guys were like, should we sit her up? Should we make sure she's okay? Mm, I just felt like not. I
4: mean, it seems an odd thing to check, kind of basically check her vital signs if her head's pretty much hanging off.
5: Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. PC Neil blows his whistle, which raises the alarm. He... <whistles> PC Neil blows his whistle, which raises the alarm. He calls upon Dr. Reese Llewellyn, who is a local medic. Dr. Reese's, she's in pieces. It is predicted that the woman had been dead for around half an hour by this point. He notes the following. The murderer must have had some rough anatomical knowledge for he seemed to have attacked all the vital parts. As no life could be found in the body, it is sent to the mortuary. Upon further investigation, the crime only gets more horrific. It is soon discovered that the woman has been completely disemboweled. Her throat had been cut from left to right. The cut was so deep that her spinal column was visible. There were multiple cuts on her body, and she had been slashed to the breastbone, but none of her organs had been removed. They soon discovered that
4: this woman was called Mary Ann Nichols. She was a 41-year-old sex worker. She had six children. After finding out her identity, the police officers of the Metropolitan J Division tried to retrace her steps so they can try and collect a list of suspects. Whilst investigating, the police come to find that Mary had been rejected from a local lodging house earlier on the evening. She did not have the money to pay for a room, and so the owner sent her onto the streets. After being rejected, she makes her way onto Osborne Street and speaks to Ellen Holland. Ellen said that Nichols was obviously drunk and after the two engaged in conversation, Nichols went east along Whitechapel
5: Road. So apparently the owner of this lodging house basically, once they had established she didn't have money to pay for a night at the lodging house, she basically said, give me a couple of hours, I'll be back with the money. So she had quite clear intentions of where she was going to go and what she was going to do. But unfortunately, it wouldn't quite go that way.
4: Tensions are already high. Despite the violence in the streets of London, murder was a highly unusual occurrence. In fact, it had been reported that there were only half a dozen murders the year before, but there had been two murders earlier in 1888. Months apart, but both brutal attacks on women, the deaths of Emma Elizabeth Smith, who died in April of 1888, and Martha Tabran, who was killed in August of 1888, were being investigated by the Metropolitan H Division. It is important to note that the deaths of Emma Elizabeth Smith and Martha Tabram are potentially the work of Jack the Ripper, depending on who you ask. However, it is widely believed that Emma was murdered by a street gang.
5: On the same day of the first official murder a new head is appointed at Scotland Yard. Dr. Robert Anderson has only been head of the criminal investigation department for hours before the biggest investigation of his career would come to his hands. That's a big first gig Mm. isn't it? It is not long before Anderson is taken off the case. He started his new position and after seeking medical attention his doctor suggested he take time off. As a result Anderson takes a vacation to Switzerland and his role is handed to Donald Sunderland. Anderson sounds like a useless piece of Shit. Does yeah. Times got tough. He went to Switzerland. So Anderson's role is handed to Donald Sunderland Swanson. S- Swiss roll. <laughs> Sorry, gone who now takes immediate control of the case. Moreover, George Aberline, who will go on to discuss in some more detail, is brought into the case for his unparalleled knowledge on the Whitechapel area. He had previously worked in the district for 14 years and thus had a vast local knowledge of both the area and its criminal activity. The kind of guy that you want. He is, he is. You want him on the job. You do.
4: It is now the 5th of September and the Star newspaper prints a paper telling the public about the infamous leather apron that the police are now looking for. The police are immediately infuriated. Not only has this raised anxiety levels within the public, but moreover, the suspect now knows the police are now looking for him. Furthermore, a leather apron was an item of clothing often worn by Jewish tradesmen. This only adds to the already growing racial tensions. Leather Apron was already known to the local community, especially the sex workers. It had been alleged that this man would intimidate sex workers by attacking them. After he had attacked them, he would proceed to steal their money. Luckily for them, the police knew who Leather Apron was all along. The man was called John Pizer, and as soon as the newspapers are printed, John becomes the most hated man in the whole of Whitechapel. Knowing he is now a target for an attack, John places himself into hiding. Leather Apron. It's a leather face, but it's his mum doing the cooking.
5: Yeah. Yeah. We move on to the second of the canonical five, Annie Chapman. As a journalist is sitting in his office writing the headlines for the next day's paper, he etches a grim fate that was being enacted as he was scrawling the words into his paper. At 6am on the 8th of September, John Davis opens his back door to find a woman's body laying on the ground between some steps and a fence. Startled by what he has seen, really, really, really startled by what he has seen.
4: Fucking hell! (laughs)
5: Startled by what he has seen, John calls out for two workmen who are passing by to help him to try and bring the woman back to life. The woman's throat has been slashed in two places. She has been knifed up to her breastbone. Her small intestines have been taken from her body and have been placed above her right shoulder. Furthermore, two parts of her lower abdomen are situated above her left shoulder. Her womb had been taken, which confirmed to police that anatomical knowledge must have been known from the killer. Coroner Wynn Baxer commented the following.
4: The injuries have been made by someone who had considerable anatomical skill and knowledge. There were no meaningless cuts. What accent was that, just out of interest? posh. Just posh. Like Just posh. That. So whilst waiting for the police to arrive, the workmen look for a murder weapon within the vicinity. They find a freshly washed leather apron along with a scrap of metal an empty nail box, a torn envelope, a small piece of cloth and two combs. Once again, people jump to conclusions and unfortunately, anti-Semitism becomes the answer. However, people fail to acknowledge that the leather apron actually belonged to a person living at 29 Hanbury Street and was in no way linked to the murder.
5: Once again, police try to create a timeline and begin to ask if residents had seen or heard anything suspicious. It is found that Annie had not had the money to pay for the room for the night at the lodging house she frequented. She leaves the lodging house at 1:50. Elizabeth Long told police that she had seen 47-year-old Annie Chapman at 5.30am. Although they weren't necessarily friends, Elizabeth knew she had seen Annie as the pair often braved the night in the same lodging house. However, Elizabeth claims that she didn't know, quote, the foreigner that Annie had been standing with.
4: A post-mortem is conducted on the body and an interesting discovery is made. It finds that two rings must have been forcibly removed from the victim's finger. Perhaps they were taken by Jack the Ripper as a token of his second slaying. Dr. George Phillips estimated that Annie had been dead for around two hours before she was found, but this would dispute Elizabeth Long's claim that she had been seen at 5.30 AM. At 4.45 AM, John Richardson, a son of one of the tenants at 29 Hanbury Street, sat down on the very steps just in front of the future crime scene. He was there to cut some leather from his shoe. In addition to this, at 5.20 AM, Albert Kadosh had not noises from the backyard. Therefore, Dr. Phillips acknowledged that he may have overestimated the amount of time the woman had been dead before she was found. So it just goes to show that, the I mean, obviously, back then they didn't have as much equipment to deal with and, you know, be able to get exact timings. But yeah, it's very murky, the evidence and the knowledge that they have.
5: Cutting leather from a shoe. Mm. What does that mean? I don't know. Trod in some wet leather. And also, Albert Kadosh heard noises. Kadosh. (laughs) 10th of September, with fear amongst the public running at an all-time high... You, you, you said that he stood in some wet leather. Well, no, I'm just saying cut... cutting leather from his shoe. He's not going to cut the actual shoe open, is he? And leather before it's formed is a bit wet, isn't it? The first one was a bit wet. It's sort of wet and then strained out and dried and sunned and...
2: Help me. Out of his depth.
5: 10th of September. 10th of September. With fear amongst the public running at an all-time high, members of local communities decide to set up their own vigilante committees. It is on this date that the first official group is formed. They called themselves the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. The team set up their own patrol routes, and they even went as far as to write letters to the police and parliament in the hopes that a change would take place and the killer would be found. It is on this date that John Pizer, a.k.a. Leather Apron, is found residing with his family. before he went into hiding, is his family, he's not gone. Right, took them a to it, to Hidden fair. in plain sight. Mm. When he is found, he is questioned by police, but ultimately they rule him out as a suspect as he is able to provide alibis.
4: The police come to the conclusion that the killer must be someone who has anatomical knowledge, as well as someone who is criminally insane. Consequently, local medical students who had spent time studying at asylums are brought in for questioning. The police hope that this would bring them a criminal, but in fact, it just wasted their time. So the police are I, thinking out of the box. I can see, yes. Yeah,
5: I can see that thought process. And mm. and unlike the, obviously, we've covered the the Yorkshire Ripper, where there's a lot of police criticism at the time. They are not necessarily seeing a connection between the two murders, but they're trying extremely hard to investigate it further and understand a likely culprit as soon as they possibly can. On the 24th of September, 1888, George Bernard Shaw pens to the Star newspaper. He provides his own theory on who is committing the murders. George hypothesizes that it is someone who is committing these acts as a way of highlighting the need for change. In other words, they are a social reformer. I guess in some ways you can see what he was trying to say. As gory as the murders were, they did highlight the disparity between the rich and the poor, which later would lead to social change. A lot of the criticism for the police
4: were that if this was done in Mayfair, that they would have been cracking on with it and figuring it out a lot quicker and put a lot more resources behind it. But as this was the East End, they weren't putting as much manpower to it. And now we're going to talk about the next victim, Elizabeth Stride. The day of the 30th of November, 1888... Barely started, but no one could ever anticipate how the day would end. Louis shuts is on the streets and tries to guide his horse and cart down Burner Street. Clearly scared by something, his horse refuses to follow his master's instructions. <laughs> that was pretty I'm scared, scared. horse. Thank you. I'm, it's very blocked up. What is? <laughs> Confused by his horse's refusal, Louis lights a match and walks down the dark alley with only the flicker of a flame to guide his way. Okay. That
5: was quite good as well, right?
4: Was it? At his feet, Louis finds a woman with her throat slashed at 1am. In a panic, he runs into the International Working Men's Educational Club to check on his wife. He raises the alarm within the club and this is when a group go on the hunt for a police officer.
5: So at this point, tensions are already extremely high in the East End and the murders are starting to appear linked. A lot of people are on edge and understandably immediately on the lookout for for a perpetrator of these crimes so it kind of has some similarities to towards the end of the richard ramirez case when people were aware of a spree killer and quickly onto the scene to try and prevent further murders but the tension in the east end was already palpable but this now escalates further upon calling for anyone with information a jewish man named israel schwartz tells the police of his recollection of the night's events. In front of him, Israel could see a man walking towards a woman who was waiting at the gateway of the Socialist Club at around quarter to one. He told police how the two participated in a few shared words, but soon after, the man threw the woman to the ground. He then saw a second man light a cigarette. One of the men shouted, "Lipsky!" This was an anti-Semitic slur. Not wanting to be involved in any trouble, he decides to cross the street. So yeah, this is a big, big moment, and perhaps the only moment where someone has actually seen Jack the Ripper. The woman is later identified as 44-year-old Elizabeth Stride, and it was speculated that her time of death was around 12.45am. Elizabeth, dubbed as Lucky Liz by some because of her minimal injuries, was Jack the Ripper's third canonical victim. She had been seen by PC William Smith... Will Smith. Yeah. Can't make it up. We yeah. She had been seen by PC William Smith earlier in the evening with a man who was carrying a package. He said he had a parcel wrapped in newspaper in his hand. He then went on to say he was of a respectable appearance, but I could not state what he was. Saying someone is lucky because they've been killed
4: but not been absolutely
5: killed in a less brutal fashion. Yeah, it's not,
4: still not so yeah. odd. Most theorists believe that Jack was interrupted whilst he was killing Elizabeth, as only her throat was cut, which is extremely different from the mutilization of the bodies in the other murders. Was he stopped in the tracks by Louis's horse, or was this even the work of Jack the Ripper at all? Well, many would speculate the Ripper didn't satisfy his thirst to kill that evening, as 900 yards away, the second body would be found 45 minutes later. That's what makes me think, believe that it was, was a Jack the Ripper killing because of the
5: proximity and the, the speed between the two. We're now going to talk about the fourth canonical victim, Catherine Eddowes. The 30th of September has been named the double event. It is 1.45am and a police officer named PC Watkins is walking his beat along Mitre Square. He is 15 minutes away from where Elizabeth Stride was just murdered. It has been a quiet night in Mitre Square and 15 minutes prior he had walked down this exact area and there was no signs of trouble. Now at his feet stood the body of 46-year-old Catherine Eddowes. Eddowes has been slashed to her breastbone. She has been disemboweled. Her intestines were placed above her shoulder. Her kidneys had been taken. Her face was barely recognisable. Her nose, ear and lips had been hacked off. The killer had even carved V-shaped flaps under her eyes. As this crime had fallen under the jurisdiction of a new police force, the City of London Police Department was now involved in the Jack the Ripper investigation.
4: Eddowes had actually been involved with the police earlier in the evening. At 8.30pm, she was visibly drunk and had gathered a crowd around her. She had been arrested by the police and taken to her cell for a few hours, whilst the alcohol left her system. She left the station at 1am. Upon her release, she tells a police officer, Good night, old chap, which is the most British thing you'll ever hear. Have any of you boys
5: ever been in the slammer?
4: Um, the only slammer I've had is when I was playing Pogs.
5: Good. Nice. You? Never. Dan? Never.
4: Twice actually, yeah.
5: What? No you haven't. I have. No you, no, haven't. you haven't. Witness protection. <laughs> no, I haven't. I think if I'd ever get banged up it would be something like that. Just sleep it off and let me go the next day. Not really hurt anyone or anything like that and just sleep it off and go.
4: Yeah. I th- yeah. It's a
5: nice one, isn't it? Yeah. Story to tell.
4: I could imagine seeing you on a live stream and someone say, "No, stay, the police are on the way." <laughs> I've been watching so many of those
0: videos <laughs> on
5: Facebook. He keeps sending me them. In. Dan Lambert has shared Dan, a sting. Funny full name. Dan Lambert has shared a sting. He does Every time he sends me a link now, it just says sting. And it's not it's the, police. the police. yeah. Well, my, my I mean, Facebook, in a way, it is the police.
0: My Facebook alg- algorithm is just completely tuned to nonsense now. What, what,
4: what does Dan like? <laughs> Stinson Hunter. At 1:30 a.m., Adoze is presumably alive. Three Jewish men leave a bar called Imperial Club. They see a man and a woman partaking in conversation. They are on the other side of the road from the three men. One of the men notes that the man is around five foot seven to five foot eight, roughly. Specific. The man has fair skin and has the physique of a sailor. Captain Bugwash.
5: <laughs> Popeye, mate.
4: Oh sir. Sorry. It's once Edo's body was discovered, police set off around the local area looking for any clues that could give them any indication of where the criminal went. At 2.55am, a detective finds a piece of an apron on Gulston Street. This was a significant find. The apron had been clearly used to wipe away the blood from his knife and hands. This told the police that the culprit most likely would not have any indication that he had just violently murdered someone as he walked the streets, presumably back home. It is at this point in the case that significant action from Charles Warren is taken. The bloody apron was found underneath a doorway and scribbled on the wall read, the Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing and Jews were spelled J-U-W-E-S. However, it is important to note that there is heavy debate about whether this note was scribbled by the killer. Some sources claim that this writing looked as though it had been wiped away, which would indicate they had been there for more time than the killer could have penned the message. Therefore, we can only theorise, did the killer write the note, or did he know about the social tensions of the time and saw an opportunity to fuel the racism? Either way, Charles Warren order for the rising to be rubbed off the wall before any newspaper outlets could take photographs. So he was very conscious of not trying to fuel the hatred in the, in the area. So it's interesting that he decided to do that, but probably it probably makes a lot of sense.
5: But potentially also rubbing away evidence. Mm. It's a bold move.
4: An upsetting detail about the crime is that Catherine was killed whilst three plain police officers were patrolling the area. They were quite literally streets away from her. Unfortunately, it was not close enough to catch the perpetrator or stop the murder of Catherine Eddowes.
5: The 1st of October, a bloody postcard is sent to the Central News Agency in London. The postcard manages to depict the events of the double murder before details had even been released to the public. The handwriting was not a match to the writing chalked on the wall where the bloody apron was found. So Obviously, he ordered the, the, the writing to be washed away quickly, but they noted that it wasn't comparable handwriting. Although no more lives would be slain at the hands of Jack the Ripper during the month of October, it is still important to mention some of the actions of this month to show how the case developed. On the 2nd of October, 1888, at Hyde Park, London, a banner read, The Whitechapel Murders, Where Are the Police? Very reminiscent of the Yorkshire Yorkshire Ripper one.
4: It's as if Jack the Ripper was copying him. <laughs>
5: The Whitechapel murders, where are the police? The public was becoming increasingly infuriated with the police and the claims of incompetency from the newspapers did not help calm tensions. Furthermore, we see the first letters from Jack the Ripper come to light. Whilst public tensions were growing um, regarding the police and uh, their alleged incompetence, what hadn't come to light at this point was that the uh, local central news agency had received a letter that was allegedly from Jack the Ripper a week prior, on the 27th of September, and the letter reads as follows... Dear
2: boss, I keep on hearing the police have called me but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about the leather apron gave me real fits. I'm down on horse, and I shan't quit ripping them till I get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work, and I want to start again. You will soon hear of me and my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick, like glue, and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do... I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly. Wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp and I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly. Jack The Ripper
5: You could argue this is the most famous letter in all of true
4: crime history. You could do the Dear Boss letter as it's commonly known as. Yeah, even that was ODX ones I or mm. Both of them liked. Both good legend. It's harder to decipher which one was better. The agency decided to hide this letter from the public when they first received it. They sent it to the Metropolitan Police for analysis, and on the 1st of October it is released to the public. It was hoped that a friend or family member would be able to identify the handwriting. However, we must mention that depending on who you ask, some will say that Jack did pen these letters, but others will say that this was the work of a pesky journalist. However, the letters did not give the killer his name. Jack the Ripper. Suddenly, releasing the letters to the public just made the situation worse. Copycat letters were received by the police and every single one had to be examined, which wasted crucial hours that the police could have used to catch the killer.
5: Moreover, a significant change in policing comes in during October. So at the time now, immense pressure building on the police, a lot of public scrutiny, and they're now looking at different ways that they can track these slayings this is when we start to see the first uses of bloodhounds Uh, so it's also referred to as the bloodhound trials and although the head of the london metropolitan police at the time charles warrens did have reservations about their usefulness after observing the bloodhounds at work charles ordered that if another murder was to occur no investigation was to begin until the bloodhounds had inspected the scene so quite a change in tactics on the 6th of October, we see Dr. Robert Anderson return from his trip to Switzerland. I wonder if he had a nice time. And he immediately resumes his position as the head of CID. <laughs> Straight back to the top. <laughs> On the 13th of October, we see one of the deepest house-to-house investigations conducted in English policing history. Over 2,000 residents of the area were questioned. 76 butchers and slaughterhouses were visited following the belief that the killer was handy with a knife and had anatomical knowledge. The docks were also investigated and sailors were questioned after the claim that he had a sailor's build. Just from one one sighting.
4: In addition to the letters sent to Charles Warren, George Lusk receives one on the 16th of October. George Lusk was the head of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. However, George doesn't just receive a letter. With the letter came a small parcel, and inside the parcel there was half a human kidney. Yes, yeah, so this letter is is, is, is titled From Hell, uh, which is um, the Johnny Depp film, which is about this case, is also titled that. And yeah, he goes on to kind of explain how he would go on to eat the kidney. Originally, George does not think anything of the screen parcel he has just received. He thinks that someone is playing a sick joke and as a result, places the kidney in the desk drawer, which, yeah, not even in the fridge. No. Yet after a few days, after a few days, George shows the kidney to a few of his colleagues and they all decide that it should be shown to a local medic. I mean, George. Yeah. Anyway. Trying to understand his thought
5: process there
4: some kind of joke let me keep the kidney in my drawer for a while just in case after all Catherine Edo's kidney has still not been recovered after being inspected by the medic it's confirmed that it is a human kidney and it has been taken to the police station there are conflicting statements about whether the kidney is one of the kidneys of Catherine's during the investigation of 1888 it was treated as such yet today theorists dispute these claims I think the kidney displayed some alcohol heavy alcohol usage which made people believe it It could be hers because she was very much a heavy drinker at the time
5: we then arrive at the last of the catanical five victims and arguably the most brutal one mary kelly october has passed and with no killings it has been presumed that the killer has stopped his reign of torture yet this all changes on the 9th of november when we have the murder of our final canonical victim At 10.45am, Mary's landlord, John McCarthy, sends for his assistant, Thomas Bowyer. He sends for Thomas to collect one of his client's rent. Before entering the house, Bowyer knocks on the door twice, and when no reply is received, the assistant sees that there is a broken window. He looks through the window and is taken aback when he sees a bedside table covered in congealing blood and chunks of human flesh. The landlord told the press, the sight that we saw I cannot drive away from my mind. It looked more like the work of a devil than a man. The police are immediately made aware of the situation. Dr. Aberline gets to the scene at 11.30am, where the rest of the police force is already waiting. However, a police error occurs. Following the news that if another murder occurred, no one was to investigate the scene until the bloodhounds arrived. As a result, police wait for two hours before entering the property. Eventually, a senior officer tells the police to enter the property, as the bloodhounds, named Burgo and Barnaby, are no longer in London. So that's a letdown, isn't it? Yeah, that's a a big oversight.
4: A pickaxe is used to break into the property. The door was locked and so brute force had to be used. Upon entering the house, the police find the mutilated body of Mary Kelly. Her throat had been sliced, she had been cut from her rectum to her breastbone, like most of the other victims, she had been disemboweled. Her organs were taken out of her body, and it was clear an axe had been used to cut chunks off her thighs. Her face had been completely disfigured, with her ears, lips, eyebrows and tip of the nose cut off. There were burnt clothes in the fireplace, but her clothes were neatly folded and placed next to her. Investigating the deceased whereabouts in the hours before her murder, police discovered that in the early hours of the morning, at 13 Millers Court, Mary Kelly could be heard singing. It is known that at 2am she met a man named George Hutchinson on Commercial Street. Mary was desperate for money. She george if he could give her sixpence but george had no money on him and had to tell her no mary knew she had to spend another night in the streets and mary quickly finds her next customer when she's approached by a man who taps her on the shoulder She is seen laughing with the man and the two walk off with their arms linked the pair walk directly past george hutchinson as they make their way back down to commercial street hutchinson decides to follow the pair for a short while so he can make sure that he is on hand if something goes wrong he follows them to miller's court and this is where george waits for 45 minutes but neither the man nor mary comes back to the road George decides to make his way home. At 4am, a faint cry of murder is heard by some neighbours in the area.
5: Murder.
4: However, it is important to note that this does not spark concern, which is absolutely wild. This was an extremely rough neighbourhood, and cries, much like the one heard, were not uncommon for the time. can't imagine murder has being shouted constantly
5: around the area, and you still would. 9th of November. It is also important to note that Charles Warren's resignation was accepted on this day. He had applied to resign before Mary Kelly's murder, but it just so happened that it was accepted on on the same day. and On the 12th of November, an inquest is conducted into the death of Mary Kelly. Fearing this is not the last time that Jack the Ripper will strike, more plain clothed police officers are pushed into the area. Furthermore, Queen Victoria even sends a telegraph to the PM telling her of her shock and outrage following the murders of five women. She wrote, This new, most ghastly murder shows the absolute necessity for some very decided action. All these courts must be lit and our detectives improved. Mary Kelly is the last confirmed victim of Jack the Ripper However this does not mean that she was his last kill and, and there is lots of speculation Speculation is rife with this particular case And some Ripperologists have speculated That he killed up to 11 women During his murderous spree And Ben, Ripperologist is essentially someone Obsessed by the case of Jack the Ripper And people trying to
4: figure out who done it Thank you so much Tom I'm just saying because people might be like what, what, What's that mean? <laughs>
5: <laughs> You're absolutely right. I'm like a glossary You are a glossary and you're a tossery. <laughs> Some have also placed the murders of Annie Millwood, Ada Wilson, Catherine Rose Millet, Alice Mackenzie, and Francis Coles at the hands of Jack the Ripper.
4: So that's the end of our timeline for Jack the Ripper, but now we're gonna go into there's lots of more information out there. There ben. is lots of more and information gonna, out there. And we're Tom. gonna delve in them.
0: Awesome,
5: ben. I didn't get it. You said there's lots of more information. Oh,
4: okay. Um so we're gonna Tossery. Go- yeah, that's what I called you. I know.
5: Yeah, I okay. had good feelings.
4: I did it. So, we're going to speak about how, why the police couldn't catch Jack, who Jack could possibly have been, as well as discussing who the big suspects are on this case. So, why the police couldn't catch Jack. Whilst Jack the Ripper may be arguably the most well known serial killer of the time and potentially today, other serial killers were prominent within the Victorian era. Many serial killers operated at the time, yet we know most of their identities today. So, that's the strange thing is like, it's not a case of he was just one. Serial kill operating, there was a lot of other people doing that, but they were caught. Whereas why was Jack able to get away with it? So why was Jack never caught if these other serial killers working at the same time could be? One reason is the huge issues with policing during the time. At the time of the murders, there was no such thing as DNA, and it was still widely believed at the time. If the police took a photograph of the victim's eyes soon after the death, an imprint of their murder would be left. Of course we know this not to be true today. I mean, if that has never worked, which it yeah. would never have worked... It's hopeful. Are they, it's very hopeful. How are they still thinking that that could possibly help. Therefore, the best way of catching a murderer was either by a confession or catching them red-handed. Because Jack was never caught murdering his victims, he automatically made the search much harder.
5: This isn't to say that Jack was not interviewed or questioned by police, which is quite an interesting point of note. Well,
4: well, the the Yorkshire Ripper was interviewed many a time, uh, wasn't he?
5: Exactly, exactly. There's a good chance that Jack the Ripper may have been questioned, but if he came up with an alibi, the police had no other option other than to believe it. Furthermore, there were two police departments on the case. Scotland Yard was the police force used to help find the killer of Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride and Mary Jane Kelly, whilst the murder of Catherine Eddowes was investigated by the City of London police force. And it might come as a shock, but there is much evidence to suggest that the two police departments cooperated well. In their investigations,
4: but as we know, even from recent cases that we've covered, like in in Huntley, I guess there's still rivalry between police forces. Don't share absolutely every bit of information. Mm. and, you know, they they could even have a lot of different theories that they're working on and different suspects they're looking at. Even if they had managed to collect viable evidence from the scenes, it was not unusual for items to go missing. There was strong disorganisation within the police force, crimes would be mislabeled, and it was not unusual to find evidence that had been tampered with. If evidence was still there, that was a bonus, as evidence would often end up disappearing altogether, which is very, very suspicious. Yeah,
5: a lot of eyes were on that leather apron. It was a big pivotal point of the case. Mm. And also it's very rare that we get a case where the Queen weighs in with her opinion which must have put a lot of additional pressure. In addition to this, when the investigation first began, it was theorised that the murders were gang related rather than the widely known theory today that it was a solo perpetrator. The Weekly Herald reported on the 7th of September 1888 the officers engaged in the case are pushing their inquiries in the neighbourhood as to the doings of certain gangs known to frequent the locality. And an opinion is gaining ground amongst them that the murderers are the same who committed the two previous murders near the same spot. Arguably, one of the biggest drawbacks for the police was the dependence on witness statements. So a lot of people claim to have seen things, heard things, observed things. <laughs> same things, huh? Yeah. So a lot of people claim to have seen things and heard things and a yeah, lot... P- perhaps observed them. <laughs>
4: Didn't they bend them? Am I correct in thinking they saw them with the eyes and heard them with the ears?
5: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, excuse me. Plus, as well, there was a stigma. And as Tom pointed out, if these murders had happened in Mayfair rather than the East End or an alleged higher class of people, the police may have taken their investigations a lot more seriously. And their witnesses, they were kind of similar, again, to the Yorkshire Ripper ones. Mm. They weren't really...
4: Yeah, basically, on the in, the in the blue area of the Monopoly board, police would have been a lot more on it. But because yeah. it's the brown area, they're like and yeah there was a lot of outcry about why there wasn't reward money put up for this as well and that did actually go on to change how the police would operate later on but yeah there was a lot of people saying why isn't there more money put up for this it was such a big case at the time so now we're going to look at the profile of who Jack could be so considering the identity of Jack the Ripper is still unidentified we don't have a specific childhood to consider therefore we cannot tell if he had a specific head injury or traumatic events that could happen in his childhood which would result in the infamous murderer that we know today so was Jack the Ripper a psychopath or a sociopath many have questioned whether Jack was a psychopath. This is because of the lack of evidence left behind at the crime scenes. He must have been highly intelligent to make sure that there was no trace of him found and therefore planning must have been involved beforehand. Furthermore, the murderer still committed a second killing ignoring the fact that he was almost caught earlier on the evening of September 30th, 1888. Psychopaths will stop at nothing to ensure that their plans are conducted which is clearly proven here.
5: However, we must look at both sides of the argument. Some researchers and ripperologists have speculated that he was a sociopath because he was only killing in a short amount of time, and then it seems as though he disappeared off the face of the earth. Did he move to a new area after committing a murderous spree? If he did, this is a trait of a sociopath. Or he could well have died. Jack, R.I.P. Exploding teeth. Rest in
4: peace, please, evil ripper. That's what it is, Jack. Rest in peace, please, That could be it. (laughs) Have you just solved it? Tell Charles Warren to stop the presses. He's been dead for (laughs) years. Okay.
5: Fucking hell. Moreover, Jack changed his tactics with the last killing. He must have been an experienced killer for his modus operandi to change. The fifth victim, Mary Kelly, was found indoors, which shows that he was now changing the game. He was becoming cockier and knew the police would not catch him. That kind of resonates in his letters as well, if they were him.
4: Yeah, I mean, as well with that bits believed that he was able to do exactly what he wanted with that body therefore he went you know went a lot further with disemboweling and cutting her up and it it was there's some crime scenes photos online and it is truly truly (laughs) horrific but yeah it's, it's kind of a similar as I said earlier with the Zodiac it's like he's toying with the press does he want to be caught but then it's hard to tell and decipher with the copycat letters, whether or not it, all the letters were from him. Mm-hmm.
5: So yeah, although there is uh, evidence for both sides of uh, sociopath or psychopath, most resources will state that he is a psychopath. In
4: 1988, 100 years after the murders, the FBI did a criminal profile on the type of killer Jack the Ripper must have been. The report was conducted by supervisory special agent John Douglas of the FBI's National Centre for the Analysis of Violent Crime and it can be now found online. Under a section entitled Offender Traits and Characteristics, it can be read that crime scene showed a high level of psychopathy, and he must be somewhat charming to be able to get his victims to their last locations. I mean, obviously, people like Ted Bundy, we always say, is a charming psychopath, and they're very cocky and confident about themselves, and they're able to charm people very easily. The fact he was able to do this without being acknowledged by any witnesses would suggest he was between 28 to 36 years old.
5: To approach end of life in the... Uh Late 1800s. A lot
4: of the search workers in that story were 45. Wow. So someone's wrong. (laughs) Furthermore, special agent John Douglas speculated that the killer must have been raised by a strong mother and with either an
5: absent or frail father. When looking for a possible motive for Jack the Ripper, one of the first known books dedicated to the Whitechapel murders was written by a man named Leonard Matters. And published in 1929 in his book The Mystery of Jack the Ripper, Matters suggests that Jack the Ripper was killing sex workers as an act of revenge for his deceased son. The main theory suggested that a man named Dr Stanley had a son named Herbert. Herbert was a frequent visitor of sex workers in the East End and his favourite was a woman named Mary Jane Kelly, who we all know was one of the Ripper's victims. Unfortunately, Herbert contracted syphilis from Mary Jane Kelly and subsequently died two years later. And knowing his son had contracted this disease from one of the sex workers in the East End, Dr Stanley scavenged the area, looking for the woman who had murdered his son. So again, an interesting speculation.
4: And now we're going to move on to some of the suspects people believe could be Jack the Ripper. Some of them are quite outlandish. Some of them have a lot of very interesting details behind them.
5: And obviously there are literally hundreds of different people that have been speculated to have been the Ripper. So if we haven't, well, we're not going to cover all of them, obviously. But if we've missed your favourite one, We apologise. So, Jill the Ripper, this is quite an interesting theory and stems around the idea of Jack actually being a Jill.
4: Was Jack the Ripper actually a woman? Well, Detective Abelline was one of the first people to put this theory forward after the murder of Mary Kelly. It had been theorised that Mary Kelly was pregnant at the time of her murder and had asked for an abortion as a result of her desperation. A midwife would have known the anatomical knowledge needed to commit such horrific acts. In addition to this, they would have been able to walk away from the crime scene undetected, as seeing a midwife smeared in blood would have not been an unusual sight. So that's very interesting. Mm. Furthermore, we must remember that Mary Kelly's clothes were placed neatly next to her bed. Perhaps she had taken them off believing that she was about to have an abortion, but in fact, she took them off to be killed moments later. So that is a theory not believed by a lot of people. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting idea of to call the midwife. (laughs) It gets a bit bit breaker.
5: Another highly pushed subject is Montague johnson Druitt. So Montague is quite an interesting character. His father was a surgeon and the family were very well educated and well respected in the area. His intelligence was seen from a young age and many believed that he would go on to follow in the footsteps of his father. In July of 1888, Montague's mother was classed as insane and she was sent to an institution as a result. The mental health issues did not stop at his mother. His grandmother was also declared insane and she would go on to take her own life. In addition to this, his aunt and sister also suffered from anxiety and depression. Montague feared he was leading down the same path and penned in a note his concerns. He was later dismissed from school for unknown reasons, and shortly after this he suddenly disappears and nobody has any idea of where he may have gone. On the 31st of December, 1888, his dead body was found floating in the River Thames, and interestingly his body was found just four weeks after the last widely believed Ripper murder. Rocks were found in his pockets and it was concluded that he must have been dead for around a month before his body was discovered. But we know how rough they've been with things already.
4: Obviously, a body found in water for a long period of time is going to deeply affect the body. The thing about this this theory is, is also believed that he, he may well have been homosexual, which some people think that decreases the chances of him actually being Jet the Ripper because he wouldn't have had a hatred towards women. So some people have just gone and say it's just a sad case of a doctor found in the Thames that some people think oh he must have killed himself for this reason. It feels to me like a bit of a loose one. Yeah.
5: yeah. I think every suspect has some a finger you can point at him, but then a, a reason you can cross that yeah. finger out.
4: Yeah. So, so we'll be we crossing our finger out on that one then? Yeah.
5: Crossing the fingers out on that one man. Big time.
4: Yeah. Good so the next suspect we're going to talk about is Aaron Kosminski in 1910 Sir Robert Anderson explicitly stated that the police force had caught Jack the Ripper in his book Robert Anderson said there was no doubt whatever as to the identity of the criminal in the 1980s a copy of this book that detective Donald Swanson had kept was brought to light Donald Swanson's grandson showed a page of the book which had the name Kaminsky scribbled into it Aaron Kosminski was of Polish and Jewish descent he worked as a barber with a father who was a surgeon in 1891 he was committed to an asylum where he would stay until his death in 1919 some theorise that he was Jack the Ripper, as Robert Anderson told in his book that the killer was a low-class Polish Jew. In addition to this, he states that only a person who was able to identify him refused to do so, because he was a fellow Jew. Melville McNaughton wrote about Kalinske saying, This man became insane owing to many years of indulgence in solitary vices. He had a great hatred of women, especially of the prostitute class, and had strong homicidal tendencies. When he was placed in an asylum in 1891, it was found that Kaminsky had auditory hallucinations and he refused to eat from others. Furthermore, prior to his incarceration, he had threatened
5: his sister with a knife.
4: So that one obviously is, is more led by the fact that one of the detectives in the case believed him
5: to be the killer. The next suspect is Walter Sickert, and this is a lot of people's uh, primary suspect. So Walter Sickert's name was pushed into the limelight when crime novelist Patricia Cornwell named Sickert as the man responsible for the slayings. In 2002, she released her book, Portrait of a Killer, Jack the Ripper Case closed. All these different writers, all of these different researchers, ripperologists have different opinions. But it also seems to me, and we can't really talk, but it's almost like clickbaiting.
4: Well, yeah. If we were to say if this was titled, we have found out who the who Jack Ripper is,
5: <laughs> and there are videos out there like
4: that. Yeah. Then yeah. And then you have to really put everything. It's like every documentary. There's so much evidence. One way you don't hear both sides of the story for these things. Mm-hmm. So
5: yeah. So this really very much pushed Walter Sickert's name uh, into the limelight, and she listed. it in the, in the book The, the, the reasons why She believes it to be him So Sickert was a, a painter Initially born in Germany But his family Would later move to England And growing up Sickert wanted to be an actor He began to study art And became fascinated With the sexuality And macabre That he could place Within his work He caused controversy with all of his pieces, with many people claiming they were too grotesque to be displayed. His work often focused on sex workers, and many believed that he used their services. Sicker himself was allegedly highly obsessed with the Jack the Ripper case. He had various paintings alluding to the case. One of the most famous ones was called Jack the Ripper's Bedroom. It's a very spooky piece of work. which was allegedly inspired after his landlady had told him that a Jack the Ripper suspect had previously lived in the room that he was renting. However, there is evidence to suggest that other paintings, although they may bear the resemblance to the crime scene and post-mortem pictures, were actually inspired by the murder of a sex worker in 1908 named Emily Dimmock. The piece now hangs at Manchester Art Gallery. Patricia Cornwell's main argument is that Walter Sickert was impotent following a penile fistula procedure in his childhood. It was suggested that this impotency created the deep hatred of women that would have been needed for such horrific crimes. However, records have shown that Sickert was operated on at St Mark's Hospital. Here, they specialised in rectal fistulas. Furthermore, Sickert did marry, he had a wife, and although they would divorce, it has been suggested that he fathered a child and had multiple mistresses.
4: In fact, theorists do not think he was even in the area at the time of the killings. Letters show that he was in France at the time, and although it would not have been impossible for him to return to England, kill and then flee again to France it is highly unlikely. So the next suspect we're going to talk about is Francis Spursheim Craig. Francis Craig was born in Acton, London, in 1837. He was a newspaper reporter. He was hi- highly successful and he would spend time in America. Although he was caught plagiarising the Daily Telegraph, his name wasn't tarnished and he would become an editor for Indicator and West London News. Craig was present at the inquest for the murders and as he was sitting listening to the details of the murder, is beginning
5: to gather details of the police leads. Another person of note to mention, and this is probably one that this is one that I point both of my fingers at, all, oh. of my, all of my fingers at. Oh wow, yeah, and that is Jacob Levy. First of all, he lived right in the heart of the Ripper territory, so he was very, very close to where Catherine Eddowes was murdered. He came from a, a long line of butchers uh, by trade, and uh, he was also a butcher by trade himself, with the necessary skills to be able to dissect and remove organs from humans and animals. He was also recorded as suffering from various mental health conditions and also for a brief period of time was sent to an asylum. The asylum records that they had on file for him stated that he feels that if he is not restrained, he will do some violence to someone. Although a lot of people say that he wasn't um, intelligent enough to have carried out those those murders and got away with it as well and concealed it.
4: Because one of the things with this is, that, yeah, with a lot of people that have ended up in asylums and whatnot, obviously things can get worse and people can, can um, go deeper into um, the, the mental health issues. But this person got away with it, so scot got free. And you would have thought, I don't know, it's, it's a bizarre one, because they obviously as well, with it, know it, like they, they're they doing a lot of these crimes in the pitch black, yeah. and they're able to cut the bodies up. So yeah, I do believe, obviously, they must have some form of knowledge. Anatomical a word that we've never said before in this case. <laughs> obviously, they had knowledge in that respect, whether it be a surgeon or a butcher, I guess that doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, it just it seems such callous and pointless killings I don't know if it is like a, it's going for revenge or any particular method other, other than just kind of causing mayhem but because of the lack of evidence and lack of you know real you know DNA obviously we can we can take from this it's it'll never be solved no but people we'll still put a lot of time in and researching and looking into it today and it's just like mm-hmm. put your time Just something's happening now mate there's a lot of like cold cases now which could Use the, use the effort
5: but it's it's a case that so many people find fascinating and layers and layers and layers to it each suspect has got like dedicated websites to pushing yeah. that narrative of why it's that person definitely and it's, yeah there's a whole community like as we said the ripperologists so yeah and i also thought i'd be smart and obviously with all the research we've done for this case i'd like watch a load of jack the ripper content and just look in the comment section and Mm. see if there was like a common name every comment different so please do that on this video as well
4: so we're gonna now move on to the aftermath obviously there's been countless films songs you know, inspired by this case. Although the man's identity is not known, investigators believe they have found out the facial identity of the man they believe to be Jack the Ripper. I don't know how they could possibly do that with that no one knows who it is. Frederick George Abiline became consumed by the case when he could not find the killer. Abiline was taken off the case in eighteen eighty nine. Crucially, he had the only known facial profile of the killer carved into his walking stick. Although this may sound like an unusual method for finding the criminal, it has led us today into thinking we know we now know what he looks like. I
5: mean wow got kind of again commonalities with um, George Oldfield Yorkshire Ripper Mm. who was just obsessed like sleeping in his office
4: whittling a little Peter Sutcliffe into his cane. <laughs> the cane had been kept safely stored at Police College in Bramshill, Hampshire. However, when the institution was closed in 2015, many feared that the cane and evidence had been lost. Recently, two staff members were looking through the storage containers when they found the cane and other artefacts that had been held at the site. The cane is now on display and is placed next to original newspaper clippings around the Whitechapel murders. Anthony Cash, the content creator for the college, commented on the Discovery saying, This walking cane is such a fascinating artefact, which represents such a historically significant time in policing, and it it's amazing that we can put it out on display here at Wrighton. Come along, spend your money. Along- I like his energy. Yeah, he's into that aspect. Alongside the original newspaper cuttings, so that our officers could see firsthand how far advanced we are in policing since then. Bruce Downs just shown us a picture now of the um, the cane, and to be fair, he's done a bloody good job in, in
5: carving it in there. The man obsessed. Yeah. To be fair, it looks like the cowardly lion from Wizard of Oz. Very good. There was also a very famous actor of the time, Richard Mansfield, who starred in a theatrical version of Jekyll and Hyde. And his performance was so good, the audience uh, members believed, oh, wow, that's Jack the Ripper. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean that is that is bizarre there's also the allegations of course that uh, it was H.H. Holmes yes before fleeing to America mm. yeah there's also a Reddit thread of people that believe Jack the Ripper boarded the Titanic with hopes of starting a new life in America but of course although the time frames do line up no one knows whether Jack the Ripper was on the Titanic because no one knows who Jack the Ripper was
4: <laughs> yeah and I, I was trying to search for something earlier on and I found a thread was saying, could Winston Churchill be Jack the Ripper? Wow. So there's a lot of theories out there. Uh, some of them seem to be very much bullshit. Yeah, uh, let us know in the comments below if, if, if there's anyone that we haven't mentioned that you believe to be Jack the Ripper. It is one of those cases where this was never going to be our usual episode because there's so many different ways you can go, routes you can go down. But yeah, it's a very curious one. And I'm actually quite, I would say, which is rare for us to say, I'm quite pleasantly surprised by how the police handled it. I know this the DNA and people saying the reward money wasn't put up early enough, but even like linking the murders in that time, I think it was quite you know progressive yeah. of them. And the fact that you know they're saying that originally they thought it was gangs and they moved it, they moved on to thinking it was one solo person. And the fact that um, they were even starting to think, you know, maybe he must have had hatred towards women. It was this reason. Oh, he's so well equipped. It must be a butcher. It must be. I think. It seems quite ahead of the times for me, personally. So, yeah, it's it's a very,
5: very interesting one. So we're going to hold back from slating the police this week? I think, I personally yeah. think so. I'm with you. We won't you. rip them apart. Ooh. Well, I know as well, obviously, there's not a lot to go off in terms of lookalikes. But I have come with a couple.
4: My lookalike this week is going to be cow- The Cowderly Lion, Wizard of Oz for that carving. And that's all I have, because... I thought, because we don't know who he is, how would it yeah. look like him? Ben, obviously,
5: somehow has, so... Play the jingle. What does it look like? That looks like a bit like that. Yeah,
0: it
3: looks a bit like this.
5: So, obviously, yeah, as, as we've said, minimal stuff to go off this week. We haven't obviously been able to, unfortunately, prove who he was today, which was we came in... I might do it tomorrow. Yeah, there you go. There's always tomorrow. However, I have got some content to go off. So there are some very infamous illustrations of Jack the Ripper. They sound infamous. I have gone... For, uh, obviously, infamous illustration of Jack the Ripper. Kieran Hines. Um, he's from Harry Potter, Woman in Black, and The Terror. I actually think it's pretty good. Where else do I know him from? He's in loads of stuff. Good actor.
4: The infamous picture Ben and looks like it could be Doctor Who. An hey. old Doctor Who.
5: But um, Got one more for you. Okay, good. I've gone with the same infamous image of Jack. Oh, God, the infamous. You remember the infamous image?
4: i I'm showed us. Gone, Stick with that one. Go on. I've
5: gone with Pete Doherty. Literally just that. And
4: the face not the face a little bit I mean he's got the indie scarf on to be fair yeah I would have picked a picture where Pete Doherty's hand wasn't in front of his face that you <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> out of all the ones you got, for a big say, hat so yeah. that kind of works big hat, yeah. don't change the picture said, because be that's the picture that's, that you picked it could have been the same hat I don't think it was the same hat because one's a drawing and one's a hat but anyway Thank you for that, Ben. Because we're not going to go so in on the lookalikes, we have a bit more time to delve into Dan. We finally have some audio submissions for The Cult and... <laughs> the Cult of ICMAP. And now it's time for... <laughs> blowing your fucking nose.
2: <laughs> the Cult of ICMAP. more
4: Right, so it's that time again. Um, thank you for anyone who has, uh, has already applied. We do actually have a number now as well. You can apply for the cult of ICMAP. Bridges, Down, do you want to read what that number is, please?
0: And the number to WhatsApp us in, a little voice note or a cheeky video, 01767 308 990 love the screen stuff. now for you as well.
4: So you can send a WhatsApp to us over on this number with a video or with an audio note because I know it's the video side of things sending to our email is a bit hard because there's there's size limits etc. So and some people are just shy. Exactly. Well, I mean that's not relevant. We'll also add that into our info down below on the audio listeners and in the YouTube description as well. So why not send us a message or an note over on there, and you may feature it in an upcoming episode. Right, Should we play a few voice notes then? I'm genuinely really excited. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am. I've done my best not to press play on these and look at them throughout the week, so I'm very excited. Here's a clip from Dominic Her.
0: Hello, boys. Uh, my name is Dominic Herr. Uh, this is my voice application for the uh, ICMOP Cult. I haven't got no extravagant job or anything but I am a lorry driver and I thought my services would be really well received as I could deliver fresh milk for the babies and the mothers uh, to our ranch in the hills Uh, also I could be a getaway driver or I could dispose of any body parts that we need to dispose of Um, so yeah that's my application
4: Sure, and sweet. He, he seems... Fasc- Likeable. Fascinating. Yeah. Energy. Um, straight away, it's like, thing lorry Drive, I wasn't thinking he was going to say bringing milk for babies. Yeah. That was a surprise to me. I thought maybe he's like, you know, just food and goods for the, for the cult. Or...
5: Getaway driver as well, in a lorry. Yeah. Um,
4: yeah, well, you wouldn't expect it, I guess. No, exactly. And then, yeah, taking away the bodies. The, the cult is not, the, we're not planning... That sort of cult. That kind of cult. Yeah, I, like the, I like the energy, Dominic. I like the energy. I, I think, like him. I think we'll need to slightly mould you into a different way for somewhere where the energy's going. That's how, that's how cults do their yeah. thing. It's a bit of a wild card. I think every, every cult needs a wild card. Yeah. But we're going to keep an eye on you, Dominic. For me, anyway, it's a, is a yes from me,
5: guys. I don't,
4: He's in. Dominic, yes you're in.
5: Welcome, Dominic.
4: Come on in, have take a seat.
5: seat.
4: <laughs> <laughs> anyway. First audio application and the first success.
0: A swing and a hit. Right, we've got another one from um, Hannah, and uh, this one might interest you. Here it comes.
2: Hi, Tom, Ben, Dan. Um, Good order. This is my submission to join the cult. I'm currently studying criminology and criminal justice. Uh, I have an extensive knowledge of the criminal justice system. My uncle actually worked in a long lot maximum security prison and dealt with Ooh. Charles Bronson. Um, I make a mean apple crumble and Ooh. I have a pretty good <laughs> music taste, Blink-182 being one of my favourite bands. I thought I'd send this and I'm quite nervous. Thank oh. you.
4: Oh I mean, we, uh, we're oohing all the way through that. We're not going to na 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 it, I think, the apple crumble as well. We're both we're both keen yeah, for that crumble. I, custard. It, all right, Ben. I mean, don't push the don't the piss. I'd love to know, hear the stories about Charles Bronson and whatnot. Mm. So I just imagine a campfire, listening to their stories. a Bit bowl of apple crumble. Yeah. Oof.
5: Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's another yes. Obviously. Yeah. I mean,
4: <laughs> but yes you know, I thought, I, yeah definitely this cult see now I'm, and as well I'm, I'm loving the different accents coming in as well mm. it's really kind of putting some colour to the cult that's what I mean if, it's, if that was written down on a piece of paper it's not going to come alive as much
5: mm. yeah and it's good to be nervous when applying to be a cult member yeah it's endearing yeah yeah it's a big it's fucking endearing. deal yeah, yeah, right. big it, fucking we don't deal. Just let anyone in or everyone yeah. in
4: I mean so far only one person hasn't made it but we're going to get stricter on it but Yes, it's a yes from us. So, yes, guys, if you're going to apply for the call, why not send a voice note or a video message to our number down below? And that's where we're going to be picking the applications going forward. And, yeah, if you want to be heard on this podcast coming up, send us over an application.
5: And that brings another case to uh, another end. We, the close. Uh, To a close, we are lifting up our back catalogue, so there's even more for you to go through. If you just can't wait until next week, we have got the ultimate binge playlist on YouTube if you want to come and look at the visual episodes, or if you want to be like an audio person, pop us in your ears, pop us in your car, we're on audio platforms. Pop us in your car.
4: And if you are listening to us over on the audio platforms, why not give us a review or a rating over there? It really does help spread the word. And we're very happy to be back. And we're very excited to bring bigger and better things. So, yes, guys, thank you so much for listening and watching. So until next time,
5: like we always say, we say this all the time, keep doing what you are doing. Well, unless it's mixing metals in your mouth and waiting for sparks to fly. <laughs> Don't do that yeah
4: yeah yeah. yeah. swan around in a leather apron uh, thinking that you're the V's knees yeah and threatening people <laughs> essentially yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. don't become an infamous killer and then people still researching into you decades Ages. later Ages. Dang, Ages. You're like' cause it's, waste. it's just like just don't oh, do it let people yeah. just have some spare time yeah you know
5: and don't judge a book by its cover <laughs> and don't and don't um and don't, don't mess a bat. Don't mess a bat. Please don't mess a bat. <laughs> All right, guys.
4: <laughs> anyway, to See ya.
5: See you later. Why do I keep getting the breastbone? you're a greedy bugger. <laughs>
1: nom, 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 nom. <laughs> Planning for your next trip?
0: I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.